Welcome to Data Basic, the World Data Science Society podcast, aimed at making data science simple and accessible. For this episode, we have the co-founder of Rayscape, a startup that is using AI to revolutionize the healthcare space, specifically radiology. Join us as Stefan discusses his and his team's incredible story of securing 1.5 million in funding to creating and bringing a state-of-the-art AI product to market. So stay tuned. So hi, Stefan. Welcome to Data Basic, the Void Data Science Society podcast. And thank you so much for joining us on the episode today of Making Healthcare Smarter with AI. Alexandru and I are hosting you today, and we're very excited for the conversation to follow. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. I, I'm certain it's going to be a very interesting conversation. Uh, and I, I have been looking forward uh, to it for for uh, the week or so that that we had in advance. So so thanks again for having me. Yeah, thank, thank you both for, for joining this. And yeah, I think it's going to be a really nice opportunity for all the students to uh, see a different uh, use case for AI and data in general, uh, some, something that we usually um, talk about with our society data. Um, and I feel like sometimes healthcare is ignored. So uh, I'm actually looking forward as well to, to the conversation and getting some insights from what you're doing and how you tackle some challenges. So thanks again, yeah. Definitely. I, I think there's a, a reason, there's a certain reason that healthcare is ignored. <laughs> it's a very specific market and it can have its own difficulties, but it's rewarding nonetheless. So yeah, it, it makes it worth tapping into. So Stefan, um, if you could give us a little background about yourself, your career trajectory from yeah. being a software developer to co-founding Rayscape. Sure, sure. So um I'm, I'm going to talk about myself and I'm kind of going to alternate between myself and the, the co-founders between because Racecape was co-founded by uh, three of my uh, faculty university uh, colleagues and myself. So we are four co-founders in total and our stories are, I would say, similar uh, at least. Uh, so for me, I, I basically uh, graduated a, a high school that was based in mathematics. I always wanted to do programming. I wanted to become a, a game dev, uh, but uh, I started out, you know, in high school with some small projects. Uh, they weren't extremely well paid, and I quickly realized that. So I switched to iOS, and I, I learned Swift. Uh, back then it was Objective C actually, and then uh, Swift. Um, and this was this was around the first, or, or rather the last year of high school when when I really got into iOS programming. Um, and then the first year of of um, my computer science degree, uh, I met the other guys. We were all uh, into this coding stuff, uh, and basically. Uh, we decided, okay, uh, let's try to participate in some hackathons and things like this because uh, it sounds interesting. And this is how we kind of linked. And this this was uh, our most of our paths up until when we started doing things for startups. Now, between that first point in the first year uh, of, of computer science and when we started Racecape, back then Xvision uh, is it, like two years because we started in in the third year. Um, and in that period of time, I have been working as a sort of a freelancer, 
uh, in partnership with someone, but but mostly as a freelancer. And my colleagues, they they all had some jobs. All of us were were programming. So yeah, we kind of got to see a bit of this uh, pure programming side working uh, with other people for for other people, uh, and then we decided to do our own thing. Right. Could you tell us a little bit about Rescape? What is it trying to achieve and how is it a disruption in the healthcare industry? Yeah, sure. So when we started out, we realized that in, in today's world, there's more and more medical imaging equipment available. So uh, machines that generate x-rays, CT scans, MRIs, so on and so forth. But the number of radiologists, the doctors that have to actually analyze those images is not growing and in many places it's actually declining. So this leads to them being more overworked uh, by having to analyze more and more images each year, um, which further creates problems such as misdiagnosis, longer diagnostic times, so on and so forth. And we thought that this is a very natural place for AI to come up with a solution because it can, it, it, it's the first task, right, was uh, image recognition and detection uh, on on multiple images. So, uh, yeah, this is how we got into it. This is the problem that 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 we looked into, and this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to assist radiologists in analyzing medical images. And and get, getting a bit deeper in, into this thing, I know there are loads of. Uh, different libraries in Python uh, that can tackle uh, image recognition and stuff like that. Uh, but I was curious, what was your uh, pilot back then when you when you just started? Like, what maybe what was the core thing that uh, uh, your solution was doing? Uh, yeah, so so we started out with analyzing X-rays, uh, and we we were trying to detect. Uh, I think we had fourteen classes back then on. Uh, on chest x-rays, no localization whatsoever. So uh, the most that we could do was, were some heat maps. So it was uh, it was mostly about detecting the classes of pathologies on those x-rays. And in terms of, you know, the libraries, I we directly started out uh, working in PyTorch and mm-hmm. we did so um, by just adapting a, a the uh, DenseNet one-to-one uh, network and trying to train it on some data sets that were public. Um, they were not on Kaggle, but the Stanford had this big data set of 100,000 images that they published, okay. and yeah, uh, we, we tried we tried training on that. A lot of problems <laughs> with the data set, and obviously it was a very immature thing uh, in terms of its performance. But it was a point point to start. It was very good for us as a starting point. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe how did how did you manage to progress, uh, or where was um, where was the um, opportunity for you to grow and learn more about these problems and uh, develop a better solution? Like how was your journey in terms of I don't know maybe getting the product to the market or things like that? Yeah, this is a very long story. I'm going to try to sum it up and then then you guys can ask me anything about it and we can get into detail. So yeah. uh, basically we had a big problem when when we co-founded Rayscape and that problem was that we didn't have any radiologists in the team. We were four computer scientists uh, 
making it even worse for computer science undergrad computer scientists. <laughs> so not even a lot of experience in other things uh, rather than coding. Um, so we quickly realized that there's no way whatsoever that we could do without having a radiologist in a team. So we fought real hard to get the first radiologist in the team. Uh, it took us quite a long time. I think it took us around one year or so to do it. Um, when we finally did it, it was much easier for us to understand exactly what accuracy our algorithms are able to achieve in, in real clinical practice. Because, you know, you can you can get a data set and you can run, uh, you can split it into whatever train, train validation test uh, subsets and then you can run whatever uh, trains, training cycles you want on them. But if you don't understand the clinical performance and in, in healthcare, this is the most important thing, it's going to be very difficult to really understand if your product has value or not. So uh, this is why I'm saying once we got our first radiologist and we actually understood what things, what changes to the models and what changes to the data sets were beneficial, uh, beneficial to uh, our performance, um, that was a very important turning point. And that was the point where I can, I can say that we started growing in the right direction in terms of the technical. So in terms of, because you said it, it took you almost one year to find the radiologist. Maybe can you uh, walk us through why is that and like some, some challenges? Why maybe is it the reluctance of the uh, medicals, medical staff? Is it what exactly going on there? Sure. Uh, however, I'd just like to point out something about the thing that you earlier said. I think yes. that this is going to be this is going to be a very recurrent theme through our discussion. Um, because when we started out with Racecape, we had two other startups before, so we already had a bit of understanding about the fact that you cannot build a product in a silo and then expect it to work and perform well in the real world. Uh, this is, you know, multiply it 10 times with, with medical products. And, and we already knew this. We already knew this. However, when someone asks me, what's the advice that you would give yourself uh, back then? This, the, the advice is build your product as close to the customer as possible. Even though we knew that we had to build a product as close to uh, our customer as possible and as close to the, the real world as possible, we still do, didn't do it um quite intensive enough i would say or, or quite serious enough we were still uh working with those test data sets and uh still kind of relying on improving performance on those data sets it didn't have any impact in the real world performance uh so i i i don't definitely don't judge anyone if they're not doing it oh yeah because i think it's very very difficult to do however this is definitely one of the main requisites if, if you want to build a product uh, that's gonna have to withstand the real usage. You need to build it in front of the customer. Give it to the customer as fast as possible. The first bad iteration, just give it to them and see what they see, uh, what what they say about it. Because uh, then you're gonna improve. Yeah. Um, and I guess this this makes a very nice link to uh, your question: mm -hmm. Why was it difficult for us to get uh, our first radiologist? Um, there were, I would say, th there was def definitely an aspect of credibility because you can imagine again, <laughs> the 22 year old uh, four students, 
for 22 year old students going to medical professionals that have been practicing radiology for uh, 10 years and studying medicine journal for 20 years and telling them that you have an app that's gonna <laughs> it's gonna help them be better at their work I, they're just not gonna buy it they're not gonna buy it there's very few people that were willing to actually listen to us and when we got to those people uh most of them just rejected it because they didn't think it was it was ever going to work even though we had this prototype we had this first iteration uh it was bad but we had it and we could show them you know we had five cases which worked we had we knew a photo on google that performed well on our uh, algorithm so we always googled that photo took it like we acted like we chose it randomly but we knew that it was working so we tried to fake that it's working in, in the real world it didn't at that point um and even so most of the radiologists completely declined us at the beginning um so that that was the issue of credibility it's also an issue uh, when you're trying to bring a new technology into a market especially a market that's conservative uh, in a way it's created Med the medical market is extremely conservative in general you might have a harder time bringing innovation and and convincing people that what you're doing and it's innovative it's actually going to be helpful um so this is why i think it took a very long time uh credibility and also the, the problem of market education the way that we solved this was just talking to more and more people uh up until we had a lot of luck i I guess luck it's also numbers because you know we spoke to many radiologists but there was one professor in, in our home count, count uh hometown in, in Timisoara in the county hospital uh professor Florin Bursostano which I still thank to the day he's very close to the team um he basically had I don't think that he believed us but but he at least had gave us a chance to prove mm -hmm. ourselves so he was like, OK, take this one resident I have. He's also passionate about innovative things in general. Uh, talk to him and see if you can work something out. And Marius Bensa, which is our, our chief medical officer right now, was this resident. And, uh, you know, we he, he was the first radiologist in, in Rayscape. Um, and yeah, that was a very important turning point for us. Probably probably this uh, resident Marius uh, was uh buzzing him about new technologies and things so finally he let go let it go and then i was like okay go with these people they want to do something similar to you yeah i think i think i think that that that's the point yeah i think that's that's exactly how it happened so you know <laughs> it was luck in a way but in another way we had a lot of discussions up until we and we got there so um how do you feel like feel like it's now when you go to a hospital and uh, pitch this idea to them and how are they approaching? How easy it is to sell it to them? And then have you also seen it in in in, in being used? Like have you have you actually seen a radiologist using it and saying, oh wow, this is actually killing it. I'm I'm it's really helpful. Yeah, so it's definitely been years uh, <laughs> since the discussion <laughs> that we had with uh, with Marius and, and having him in our team. Um, this goes back to market education. I think a lot. It, 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 uh, your, your question is very related to it because one of the things that I'm very happy with what we managed to accomplish with with Rayscape is that the fact that we basically 
created the market for artificial intelligence in radiology in at least Romania. I, I dare to say Central Eastern Europe, uh, even though, you know, is definitely the most prominent. Our, our impact has definitely been the most prominent in Romania. So now when we go to the hospital, uh, it's much easier for us to get a trial in because people have heard about us, people have heard about the technology. We have so many other radiologists we can refer those people to uh, and just you can ask your friend and ask him if, if he likes it. And also going get, getting to that part of the question, yes, we've had multiple, many uh, radiologists giving extremely good feedback. We've had stories about patients where we the application actually had a very, very strong impact in that specific case uh, of the patient in that specific in his specific image. Uh, so there, there's a lot of feedback that you're going to get along the way. Initially, it was mostly bad. Now it's mostly good. Um, <laughs> but it's still, yeah, it's, it's still extremely important to listen to the bad feedback that you get, mm -hmm. because that's the only way that you're going to improve. Yes, good feedback is very valuable. It's it's nice encouragement, and you also can use it for marketing purposes and, and getting story forward, used as a multiplier. But the bad feedback that you get is basically what you have to take, and you have to work on it so that you get closer as close as possible to perfection. Yeah. Uh, Stefan, could you give us an example of the kind of feedback you've received? Maybe just one example, and how you've gone back and worked on it, and maybe from the model front or delivery front? Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually going to, I'm going to give you two examples uh, of, of this, this type of feedback. One that was helpful and one that wasn't helpful. So the, the helpful one is, let's say, the, the, the bad feedback that we're hearing even today. Uh, uh, some models, when we created our models, especially for computer tomography, we created them um, because they were de dealing with lung cancer, we created them to be uh, more likely to overclassify things mm -hmm. as lung cancer rather than underclassify them. So not, we, we didn't want to risk not detecting pathologies, uh, uh, nodules. Yeah. Um, so this is good, but also in some very specific cases, uh, doctors lose time if they are, you know, shown 100 nodules that are just blood vessels. Uh, so this this is a problem and this is a feedback that very clear feedback. Multiple people have told us we took it back to our to our working bench and we were working on improving it as much as possible. Very good. Um, the very interesting one, though, is a feedback from the early days. And I'm not sure if you have uh, a question about it later or not, but I'm going to I'm just going to cover it here. So when we first, let's say, had our official launch in uh, Timisoara County Hospital, uh, my hometown's county hospital, we basically gathered a couple of radiologists in a room. We, I, I had the presentation. I showed what I showed what the application could do. Back then, there was an application. Uh, you had to open it in a, a separate window, and they would use it, and it would output those uh, things, uh, those pathologies on on X-rays. Um, we had this launch, people were saying, yeah, cool, great, let's go. Uh, and we were very excited about it. However, a couple of days have passed and we were kind of asking people for feedback and we were receiving, uh, answer, answers that were, um, not very specific. 
And when you don't get very specific answers, there's always a question, why are you not getting specific answers? Are, are, don't they know what they're talking about? And in this case, they didn't know what they were talking about because they were just not using the application. They, they weren't using it. Uh, there were multiple reasons for this, uh, for the fact that they were not using the application. Basically, we included Google Analytics, which don't include Google Analytics, include some any other stuff for metrics, just not Google Analytics because it's bad. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's what we used. Yeah, it, it was very bad and it was very hard for us to take it out of the application once we had it. Um, but we had it and we did get some sort of usage information and people were not using it. So then you go back and ask yourself, why are, why are people not using it? Okay, let's let's try to ask them. Um, and we went to the data to them, look, we know that you're not using it, so why are you not <laughs> using it? Uh, and they gave us, you know, they were trying to help. They, they were trying to tell us why they were not using it. They said that it takes a very long time for the image to show up in our application. Uh, the results were maybe not that good, so this is why they didn't. A lot of very objective points mm -hmm. that we were work, uh, we started working on, and we definitely improved on all of them. So the application by the end, it was very fast. The accuracy of the algorithms have, has gotten much better over time. However, as we spread through Timishara County Hospital, the first trial site, to other trial sites, we had. In 2020, we had five hospitals where we were trialing this. We still didn't see as much usage as we wanted to see, and we didn't understand why. And people were, they kept giving us, us those reasons, efficiency, so on and so forth. But then we realized that they were uh, leading us onto the wrong tracks because we didn't have to make the application faster we had to completely get rid of the application mm -hmm. uh, and integrate directly into their workflow. Yeah. So what we did was we, you know, we spent two years and a half working uh, at this application and making it better. And then we suddenly dropped it and starting work, started working on integrating directly into their workflow. And this was a very important step forward for us because uh, we immediately saw usage like ramping up. Well, we, we didn't have, as we're integrating into the software, we don't have very exact statistics of usage anymore, but the way that we gather feedback, we understood and we saw radiologists using it much, much, much more. Um, so we were working on the wrong problem. Even if we got customer feedback, they, they led us astray, let's say. Even they didn't want to, but it was, this is how they understood the problem. And this is what they told us. We, did to, we, we had to uh, figure it out on our own. Very interesting use case, I I, I think, uh, or story about feedback. That's actually really interesting, and I realized because you mentioned 2020, um, was it uh, was it and also lung cancer? Was it uh, your um, focus on, uh, from the beginning to look at uh, cancers on on lungs, or was it because we that's rough when the pandemic started right so was it did you did you realize that oh we have this problem we might tap into it or we we really need to help well what was the uh reasoning behind it actually yeah no so we were into lung um before the pandemic we were we basically 
started working at this in 2018. Uh, mm -hmm. So early 2018 were the first, you know, just laying out the idea, so on and so forth. Uh, late 2018 being incorporated, a, comp uh, a company, limited liability company in Romania. Uh, so we were into it way before the pandemic. Um, it's just that the pandemic, you know, when COVID affected lungs and we had this, we were already working on lungs. So obviously it, it was going to have some use for the pandemic and it did have some use for the pandemic. So, and do you think that that also helped in, in, in how the way worked? Do perceiving the technology like do they do they, do you think that they were more willing to um try it just because they realized how bad the situation was and that they need to find some some quick solutions and some some ways to improve uh, you know uh at a marketing level uh everyone was saying that they're going digital and they like to they want to try out new things you know speed up processes, so on and so forth. <laughs> the real world, however, uh, they basically were, I, I would say they were, uh, most of them were more close to the idea of getting something new in because they're like, we have the situation right now, we got to solve it. We can't really, you know, integrate new things into uh, the workflow and it's going to be very difficult and let's wait for things to calm down and let's rehab, have, have the discussion again after a couple of months when things calm down. Um, so I, I think it was a net negative, slight net negative on the adoption of our application, uh, the mm. pandemic thing. Okay. So, uh, what did you do in this case? Did you maybe take some time to work, to, to develop it better or what, what was the process while you were <laughs> waiting for these hospitals to calm down a bit and recover from the whole thing? Yeah, uh, I'm going to point again, don't take time to make it work better. <laughs> just, uh, no, no, I, we, we definitely didn't. Uh, we just pushed more. Uh, we we talked to more hospitals. We tried getting more people on board. Tried. We tried multiple things. Uh, tried, we, initially, we we're just reaching out to radiologists. We ended up trying to reach out by management, trying to reach out by uh, let's say external partners and try to get in from multiple angles in those hospitals so that we could get those first trials in because we started working with Timisoara County Hospital, the first trial site in 2019. I think it was mid to 2019, something like that. And uh, the point was to have some good clinical feedback from them before starting to get to other hospitals. And the point where we started to get to other hospitals was actually January 2020, uh, right when everyone was still mocking the pandemic as a, you know, it's just going to pass. And then from mocking the pandemic, uh, two, two months later, um, it became a global panic thing when Italy was struck. Uh, and this has hampered our efforts because we were relying on trying to physically go to meet the doctors. We had no network, so we had to create a network and to create a network, we had to go and meet them. Uh, Stefan, just talking about radiologists, um, how much acceptance did you see from them for uh, Rayscape? So, for example, 
were they accepting it as a wonderful addition to you know the radiology department or did they perceive it as a threat um i i guess yeah i guess the threat thing is still something that happens it used to happen before as well i'm not exactly sure why uh we're trying to you know let people know that this is not something that is going to replace them it's something that's going to enhance their workflow so on and so forth but but some people are, are always going to see that way and that's that's the way it is uh and it, you know i i can't even i i can't even mock that view it's it's perfectly fine that's that's their viewpoint so obviously no problem um as, as i've kind of get in, got into it a bit earlier initially it was much harder they, they were not really perceiving it as you know something great uh or something that was uh gonna impact their workflow uh a lot because they just didn't believe in it uh once they saw it at work and once they had it integrated into their workflow we've had multiple cases where they, they're calling us and saying guys the race kit report is not uh is not available today please do something fix it because they get used to having the second opinion and there's a certain comfort for them when they you know go over the, the medical image and then uh they have another check if they didn't miss anything it's it's you know it's just much better it is <laughs> so once they they get used to it it's it's yeah they just like it most of them but basically my my question for the, the way that i'm thinking about it is that there's two main points firstly i as a company would never want to uh assume liability for a diagnostic that my algorithm outputs Never, ever. I, I don't want to do that. This is yeah, a medical professional, so never, ever. And none of the competition is willing to do this as well. So it's it's not about replacing jobs. And so so then you get then you get the point and the question, what is it good at? OK, so do you want to do you want to spend time measuring lung nodules, like drawing lines and measuring lung? Is this and, and finding small lung nodules on when you have so much knowledge and you can integrate information so much better than anyone else uh, or than other tools or you you just there's much more um higher things that you can spend your mind energy on than just uh drawing lines on nodules in order to see how much they uh, if they grew or or they shrank and by how much you know that's so, that, so that's powerful. how we see it that's how we see yeah. it. that what you said is so powerful and so like i feel like most of the most of my friends that are studying for a medical degree are actually considering what what I want to do for my next 20, 40 years. Do I want to do something that's really repetitive and boring? And that's how that's why a lot of them might not consider radiology because they know it's it's working on a computer daily, it's measuring stuff and some some people don't find it uh, in, engaging and interesting enough. So maybe now they realize, oh, I don't need to do this anymore. I, I, can, exactly. I can do something. I can. I, I can. I can use the technology and do something more interesting. But m there are other other areas in the, in the in the medical world that are like that, repetitive and, and annoying for the people. And we have less and less uh, students willing to go down down those paths just because they don't find it attractive anymore. So maybe and hopefully there will be some other technologies like yours that will come in and enhance their uh, the job and be fun again and uh, uh, get some some more some more experts down the line. Yep, definitely, definitely. 
So, uh, Stefan, Rayscape is such an incredible story. Could you tell us a little bit about what is the current and future focus of Rayscape? Uh, are you looking to expanding further or, you know, are you also working on building better models or different models? Yeah, look, if, if you have any connections in UK hospitals, I'm very happy. <laughs> no, <laughs> just joking. Uh, well, semi-joking. Semi I mean, it's quite quite well known for the, the medical degree, so maybe there are some some good people around here. We we could try and ask. See? I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> We're always open to business. Uh, now now uh, leaving the the joking tone uh, behind. Uh, for us right now, in terms of what we want to do technologically, it's it's really we started out with the X rays. We expanded into computer tomography. And, and computer tomography, uh, lung cancer. But what we want to do right now is we really want to focus on this uh, cancer, this oncology side, and we want to expand it on the abdominal and the pelvic regions as well. So basically, we want to kind of cover the whole, you know, the, the main parts of the body in terms of cancer detection, because we feel like this is a point where radiologists uh, spend a lot of time and also some of those repetitive works. Um, repeating things that they have to do, which could very well be automated by by AI with a, a high percentage of confidence. Um, so this is one thing. In terms of the business, um, we're looking to grow as much as possible in, in Europe. Uh, obviously, the EU is uh, the easiest for us because everything regulatory-wise is the same and it's, it's easiest uh, to just get into other countries. So right now we 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 have our first deployment in Germany in uh, University Hospital Mainz. Uh, we're gonna have a couple of other other hospitals lined up in in Western Europe, hopefully pretty soon. Um, and yeah, just try to monetize and and develop in in Europe for now. Uh, and long term, obviously, we're gonna go to the US. But let's say short to midterm, we're we're gonna be um, trying to expand as much as possible in Europe. In, in terms of um, the fi finance part, um, maybe can you talk a bit about the different funds of funding that you, you got, or what was how how hard and difficult it was to get them, and uh, what, what's the process? And um, the last bit uh, is: Are you looking into maybe selling the the company, getting an exit, uh, or? What's your own personal goal from from this side? Yeah, sure. So uh, in terms of the funding rounds that we've got, uh, there's a different story to each one. I'm just gonna go briefly in, in <laughs> into them. We we got 1.5 million in total. Oh, wow. 100,000 was a grant, so that's not really interesting. Uh, we <laughs> had yeah, we had we had 100k. Um, coming from participating in an accelerator. And I think this is a, especially very good if you're new to startups and new to uh, building your own company. Because in those accelerators, they initially give us 25K with the idea that, look, if those guys are going to move and they're going to perform, then we're going to give them more and more up until 100K. Um, so we had this, you know, uh, light entrance into the world of uh, venture capital. Um, which is very good at, at that time. Uh, so I think that that was very ben beneficial. Um, afterwards, we got uh, 300,000 uh, out of, uh, that was our pre-seed round. 
I did some effort to raise it. I put in some effort to raise it, but we were helped a lot uh, by our existing VC. So the one in, that, that basically funded us in the accelerator. Mm-hmm. We were we had a very good relationship with them. Uh, we still have a very good relationship with them, and they basically, you know, uh, introduced us to some other investors that would have been willing to to listen to us, and some of them were, and it was much easier to raise than I I thought. However, the one million round that we got 2021, uh, yeah, end of 2021. That was that was some effort um, because once you go over one million, unfortunately, in Romania and Central Eastern Europe. Okay. Well, actually, in Romania, uh, other Central European countries. No, uh, only Poland has a good VC ecosystem. Romania and other Central Eastern European countries, except for Poland, you have to search uh, for funding somewhere else if if you want to go over one million. Most most of the time. So that was a lot of effort put into raising the round. I, I spent around eight months uh, fundraising and it was not fun, uh, but it, it was what I had to do and we managed to do it and we are now still growing um, with that money back then uh, that we managed to raise. It's, it's getting close to one and a half years, uh, which was the initial idea this is how much the money was going to last. We obviously had some some revenue as well, so it's going to last more. Now is a very difficult time for fundraising. So if you're going to ask me what we're going to do now, I'm, I'm still not sure. Um, but yeah, those this is the story of, of the rounds raised, and there's a lot of detail to each of everyone uh, to to each of them. So uh, I don't think it makes sense getting into more more in depth right now, but. I'm always available uh, on LinkedIn <laughs> or email. Uh, but just to answer your your last part of the question, an exit, you know, we're never looking at it. We're never working with the idea of I'm gonna we're gonna exit this and then we're gonna become you know millionaires and we're gonna go uh, one month in Bali. That's not the point. Uh, we're we're trying to grow the company as much as possible. Uh, we're not trying to become profitable. We're trying to grow as much as possible, uh, and we'll see later. Maybe we list, maybe we exit. We'll see. But for for now, we're just looking to grow and expand and make the technology better, and hopefully help enhance healthcare systems. That's reassuring to 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 hear that. Um, there's the the getting rich motivation is not there in in the. You know, technology that's uh, meant to help people. So hopefully, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully the the listeners will understand that uh, it's not meant to just uh, someday make some money, but more on, on the helping side and getting uh, getting better and uh, saving some some more lives. Um, yeah. If if there's anyone that's listening and wants to make money on startup, I <laughs> am begging you not to do it in healthcare because it's going to take a very long time and you're going to <laughs> put in so much effort. So don't do it in healthcare, do it in, I don't know, anything else. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just on a very, uh, you know, a personal question, how did you find the drive and motivation to keep going, especially to tackle the multiple elements of uncertainty that was surrounding you through this entire journey? So 
Um, that is the first part of my question. My second is, what would be your advice to students who want to maybe, you know, start a startup or just explore application of AI in the real world? Is there anything that maybe you would do differently now uh, as a student or within your journey? Um, yeah, okay, got all of them. So, uh, what has been keeping us going? Uh, I think that the reason that we started a startup in healthcare, um, making a you know small uh, uh, point to what what I just said, was that we wanted to feel like the company that we're, we were working on actually brings real value to people because. We thought about okay, let's let's do a marketplace. Let's do we could have technically we could have definitely, but we didn't feel compelled to continue with that. We didn't feel like it had any true purpose. So I guess that's one part of it. The other part of it is definitely that as co-founders we are a very competitive team. Uh, we've always been competitive. We've always strived to do the best as possible and. There was a lot of learning and not winning, but um, you know, it's it's kind of our team has been forming that way. We've been participating in those contests initially, and we were consistently not winning, not winning, not winning, and we were always saying, "Okay, but we got to learn from it." Okay, at some point, we got bored of learning. That <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that was a joke between us. Uh, but by forging the team this way, it was always kind of meant to withstand pressure from the outside. And trust me, there's going to be pressure from the outside. Um, so I think that's a strong advantage that we have. Now, going uh, to your second question, uh, advice for students. My, you know, I don't really like giving a lot of advice as there's very few things that are applicable to people in general. But what I feel really is applicable to people in general is uh, just start. So you have an idea, great, it doesn't have to be healthcare. It can be a marketplace, it can be e-com, doesn't matter. Just start doing it. Drop the excuses uh, because it's, it's the faster you're gonna start, the faster you're gonna fail, and the faster you're gonna improve and do a better job, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day. So I think this is this is really, uh this is number one thing that i suggest to, to people that are are starting and for those who are doing it in in tech startups i told you that it was going to be a recurring theme build the product as close to the customer as possible how do you usually think about um teams that are trying to solve the same thing, Richard. Do you do you see them as a threat? Do you do you encourage them? Like, what's what's your opinion? What's your view? Yeah, I've I've, I've always been open to any other team. Uh, I know the service you're talking about. Obviously, we're not you usually not in direct competition. I've always been extremely open to them, and I've shared as much as possible with them. I believe that competition is a necessity. Uh, I believe that innovation thrives through competition. I believe that if you feel pressed to perform, then you're going to perform better. Um, so I'm happy that others are doing this. I'm, I'm very happy that they're doing this. Uh, in terms of the competition that we feel threatened by, I wouldn't say that we necessarily feel threatened by uh, startups 
uh, that that have been uh, born later than us. We ra I, I rather feel threatened by startups that you know have managed to raise. For example, we have a competitor startup that is just listed in the South Korean stock exchange. We have a competitor startup that raised uh, a couple of rounds from Sequoia Asia. We have a competitor startup that got acquired. You know, there's a lot of competition, uh, and I, you have to overcome it. It doesn't. It doesn't. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. It doesn't matter what level it is. You have to overcome competition, uh, and I think this is what's going to keep innovation in, innovation going. So I'm I'm happy that things are going. Uh, things are growing, and also also a very important point about this specific market and maybe other markets um, that are in their uh, first years as well. It's this is what they call blue ocean. So mm -hmm. it's it's something that if more people come to the table, the market is still so uh, in in its infancy that it's just going to grow and you're going to grow with the wave rather than you're going to cannibalize each other or you know mm -hmm. fight for the same customers. It's just not going to happen yet uh, in in those types of markets. And also, I. Just to uh, make the last point on this idea, I think that um, if you guys, if anyone has an idea, don't keep it for yourself. Um, that's that's just not the way to go. You you ideas don't worth are, are not worth anything. Uh, execution is what's what's worth it. Uh, what what makes the value of your company. So I don't keep obviously that I'm not going out and telling everyone. All of our plans and our discussions, but I don't keep secrets in that way and trying to be secretive about what we're doing. And and I think that's a very bad attitude in general. And I think that if if your company as a startup is thought of that that way, and you have this culture, you're just not going to have an edge that other more open companies are going to have because they're going to be more prone to listen to others. They're going to be prone to when sharing ideas, you are automatically going to get feedback on your ideas and ways to improve what you're thinking. So yeah, that's just another point. What about what about those big companies that are seeing healthcare as an opportunity? I, I'm specifically talking about Amazon and Google. I've seen they're growing their uh, healthcare businesses quite a lot. Uh, I, I know Amazon is going towards the pharmacy because that makes sense for them because they are, uh, uh, they are selling and they are marketplace and they can uh, get the goods out to the market. But uh, I think that Google, especially with all these uh, subsidies that they have, they have some, some really strong uh, technologies in terms of AI and general applications with them. And I guess there are other, other companies that uh, were already in the field. What's, do you feel like they, have they ever reached out to you saying, hey, we're interested to help? Have you have you reached out to them? Hey, do you want to help us? Like, what's what's the relationship between uh, startups like yours and uh, really big companies that are coming into the field? Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure why I and I, I don't really like to speculate on it. I don't think that Google is doing a lot of things on this and Neither is Amazon, neither is uh, Microsoft. Mm -hmm. uh, there are big companies doing things. Uh, 
working on the subject and that General Electric, because they're selling mm. medical equipment, yeah. that Siemens, because yeah, they're selling medical sense. equipment, yeah. that it's Philips, because they're selling medical equipment. Um, uh, our relationship with those companies, you know, it, it has been interesting. They, they definitely scout for ideas and they want to see what's happening in the market. So when you're small, they're going to come in and going to get you into their accelerator, which they did with us. Uh, you're going to be a part of their accelerator. You're going to have some relationship. It's just for them to scout you. And that's perfectly fine. It's also a very good way to have a first discussion with those types of companies, see how they behave usually, what's their cycles, so on and so forth. As we have grown and we have actually shown that we are capable of doing things in, in Central Eastern Europe, uh, those companies, hardware companies at, uh, naturally hardware companies, they don't seem to want to go into software that much. So they have their own products mm -hmm. on that are direct competition to us, but they also have marketplaces where they get all those startups our what I, I reference to as a real competition. Uh, they put them in the marketplace and then they can, you know, go to whatever clinic and then they, they can basically sell them any of the solutions in the marketplace. So, so they have started acting as marketplaces, which is interesting. I'm not sure how much this, this dynamic is going to last because it's the market is, is creating and adapting right now. So, they have been developing those their own things, let's say, up until two years ago. Now they're having those marketplaces. I'm not sure how long this is going to last. Let's see. Uh, I don't think it's going to last very long. I don't think that people are going to go with big marketplaces. I don't think that's going to be the way. Um, but yeah, generally, you have to be aware that they exist. You have to have some sort of a relationship with them. You have to try to leverage that relationship as best as you possibly can and be aware that up until when you're really a force, they're just going to scout that you exist and they, they're not going to care. Have you thought about other applications using AI in, in the medical world or have you seen something interesting going on going out there right now? I, I can't really speak to it. Um, I have to say I am 100% focused on this. It's not like I close my eyes to anything else or I don't have ideas, but, you know, just thoughts, it, it doesn't, I, I don't really spend time thinking about other things that are not related to Rayscape. And we're going to keep Rayscape in medical imaging for sure. Um, so I don't know. Sorry, I, <laughs> I can't really, there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of things you can do with AI or without AI in healthcare. Um, if, if if you're willing to uh, tackle this highly regulated, very conservative network-based market, um, there's definitely upsides to it. And there's a lot that you can do because you, we think that things are efficient and most of the institutions are digitalized and so on and so forth, but not even in, you know, Western countries, they're not, they're not as digitalized as, as uh one would initially believe so there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of things you can do here but that being said i don't personally have any other idea or i don't as, as a team we don't have any other idea we don't have things that we're looking into how do you think uh the hospitals and 
the the companies that you're working with are taking care of the data, using it, and uh, trying to enhance their world. Yeah, I think that generally speaking, medical institutions are taking care of their data very well. Uh, they are required by law, uh, as it is a very highly regulated industry. Uh, they need to keep this data for a long time, and they really need to respect patient privacy, so on and so forth. So they have they have a lot of things, good good things in place for data, uh, let's say acquisition and then data management. You know, many, some university hospitals probably in the West are also using the data and having their own projects. Um, I usually don't believe in university projects. Uh, I think that they're most of the times they're going to stay in university and very few of them will actually go to the real world. Um, I mean, you know, just we have there's many comp uh, many hospitals that have tried to develop their own AI for radiology, but I don't know. I, I only know of one company that has successfully uh, is, is basically a spin out, out of what, this this research, and that is research. context flow. Yeah, exactly. Which uh, it's called context flow. It's one of our competitors. The rest are all private initiatives. Uh, so some hospitals, university hospitals are doing, the others are not really using the data, anything rather than just keeping it and then managing it and that's it. There's definitely an opportunity there. Uh, you know, you have, you need to have patient uh, consent and things like this, and you have to keep them in mind when, when you're talking about healthcare data. That being said, I do think there's definitely an opportunity for them to use uh, the data better and to enhance their own workflows with it. Uh, just quickly touching upon the point of regulations, how difficult or what are the different challenges that you faced coming from, you know, uh, that were faced by Rayscape, especially being, you know, AI and healthcare is, are there different regulations or are there different things that you needed to do as a company to be compliant? Yeah, so EU level for now, it's just MDR. This is the medical uh, devices regulation because this is a medical device. Um, and you basically need to be, uh, let's say, obey by that and you need to be certified by that. It's definitely a cost, uh, both for you to consistently run it and both for you to, to obtain accreditation. But it's something that you have to do and once you've done it, you get it out of the way and that's it. Um, it does. It also does make a lot of sense that you need to have it in, in healthcare because you don't have, you don't want to have all those bad products out there. It does hinder innovation a bit, I think. Uh, what I would be more concerned of because this is one regulation and it's you know, you know it's there and you need to get it and that's it. They're now talking about adding an additional AI regulation, um, and this is EU level, so UK is <laughs> out of it, fortunately for <laughs> you guys. Nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> but um, they're talking about adding this AI regulation. I've had some discussions with some uh, EPs, and they were saying, uh, PE, sorry, uh, they, they were saying that um, for medical devices, they're going to try to not duplicate or do anything uh, more advanced than MDR, because MDR is all, already very, you know, uh, tough to get. Uh, but I don't really trust it. So I think that 
at soon we're we're going to need and this this is the bad uh, it's worse for the companies up and coming they're going to need to get two regulations so ai regulation and then medical device regulation which is not going to be fun at least if it's one you it's, it's a, bit, a bit more straightforward hopefully they're going to keep their word and they're going to just keep it with mdr Let's see. Uh, I've, I've had many people telling me that these days it's much easier to get FDA than MDR, which is funny because before people were coming in Europe and more uh, medical startups were, were starting up in Europe because you had the MDD, uh, Medical Device Directive, which was for software, which was, you could self-certify. You didn't basically need to do much. Um, yeah. It's one of the... So, sorry, just to just to end, it's one of the inconvenience in the industry. It also makes sense for it to be there. So yeah, you have to take it as it is. What about the lawyers? Are there enough people moving towards the the more to, towards studying the technology and the AI regulations in order to help startups like you? Like, uh, basically consultants. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of the things that I don't like about this. <laughs> Whenever you, even if they say that they offer you all the resources and then you can get those regulations, you can get all the approvals by yourself. You don't have the time to spend on reading regulations and trying to apply by yourself you are going to have to use consultants. And I'm not sure if people are already studying this AI regs, but I'm very sure that once we're 90% done with them, there is going to be a market for AI regulatory consultancy. 100% sure. There always is, there's always going to be. It's, and I've seen it with MDR as well. Basically, we came up just when uh eu was switching between mdd and mdr and there were there were very few companies that had consultancy for mdr but there there were already companies that had consultancy for mdr which is kind of amazing because it was extremely you know it's very big documentation it's not easy um and they didn't even know how the notified bodies which are third parties that have to audit you they even they didn't even know how those those audits would work in practice, but they were already offering consultancy services <laughs> services for you. So there's going to be more consultancy. There's going to be people trained for that, but it's a cost, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. Um, and probably wrapping up here, at least from my side, I'm curious because you you've mentioned that you hardly believe in projects and that are run throughout the. Um, university hospitals at least uh, let's keep it uh, only on the university hospitals because maybe you're a bit more aware of these and not talking in general do you like one one question would be do you think they are not focusing on on the right stuff uh like what's what's your judgment on that like what what's your feeling and second is, because um, you've been talking about regulations from the European uh, uh, laws and stuff like that, uh, they are putting more emphasis on regulating this, but do they also put more effort into 
trying to help you and might maybe give you some more funding, get some some stuff going on. Uh, I know there's a thing called, called Horizon that's uh, quite helpful in the in the world of uh, research and stuff like that, but I'm not sure exactly for companies how helpful that thing is. Yeah, um, okay. Th those are two uh, points where I have, I might have contrary opinions, but I'm just going to state my opinions, whatever they are. Um, so starting with uh, projects starting from from universities, I, I definitely don't want to discourage anyone and I don't disconsider anyone and definitely anyone can do it. But I do strongly believe that because of the way university projects are thought of usually, they're, they just don't feel the pressure. They, they don't feel the pressure to go to the market and to compete. Uh, if, if you're building at a university, you're always going to have this uh aura over you kind of bubble protecting you from the market forces and that's that's not, not it's not the reality i'm sorry it is not and from us from the beginning it was pressure and pressure and pressure and once we got into these invested in by vcs it was more pressure and more pressures and now we we, we just got one million one and a half years ago and monthly calls and you, you got to show progress to people and there's a lot of pressure put on you and okay, yeah, maybe, you know, that's bad for health. I don't know, but the point is it's, it's definitely good for your progress because if you feel the pressure, you're going to need to do things and advance quickly. And that's how you build a startup that's successful at the end of the day. <laughs> you, you need to be pressed by something to go on and on and on and on. And if you build it just for university, you know, we're going to spend some time here and then we'll see. But then the university changes heads and then the project loses funding and then you have to. Too long, no, yeah, too I much see. time wasted on things that are not building the product with a customer. Build the product with a customer. Do it in the university. That's fine. But just think of yourself. If the university gives you grants or, and, or gives you the opportunity to, you know, build something, take the opportunity, definitely. But build it as it were a startup for the commercial world, not for the university world. You know, that's my point. Yeah, no, I see, um, I see where you're coming from. Because, yeah, there's millions poured into these universities with no real purpose sometimes, but yeah. Exactly. They're spring money and, you know, some of them are going to work out. But I think that a better way of spraying money is spraying it with pressure, uh, as VCs are doing it, because, you know, not every startup VC is investing is going to work, but the one that is going to work, that's going to really boom. For universities, they don't have the same incentive. It's not necessarily the same thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's my point. Sorry if I offended anyone. <laughs> um, and the second is grants. Um, I also don't really believe. I I, I think that grants can be good, um, but the more local and decentralized they are the better they are okay horizon is a very centralized thing that's you know it's a u project uh i and this i've actually when when i was in the european parliament back in, in november uh and i also had discussions about ai we had some discussions about those projects as well and i went there with about 30 other startups from romania and there was not one successful startup from Romania praising EU funds, not, not one. 
And that is because in the decision of attributing EU funds, the, those decisions are usually not taken by, by people with skin in the game of the industry. They're taken by consultants or people that definitely have know-how that, that's, that's good, but it's not, <laughs> they're gonna give results that are gonna be good for their domain of expertise, which is definitely not, or usually not building companies. Um, and by doing this, the EU is kind of funneling money into companies that are chosen in unnatural market ways, because it's this is not the real market talking, this is some guys that we don't really know uh, giving out scores to startups, projects. And I, I don't believe this is fair to other startups that don't get grants. Uh, full disclosure, yes, we did apply for, for EU grants. <laughs> we, we, we got one grant uh, for COVID, so we got that one. We didn't get the Horizon one, but right now this is a discussion that's actually surfacing from three months to three months in our team. Aren't we going to apply to more grants? And the answer is always, I don't know, let's see, let's have a look. And then we search for some grants. We find one that is, let's say, easier to apply to. We apply to that. We don't get it. We wasted half a week uh, on, on writing that instead of doing absolutely anything else. <laughs> I don't know. I, I could have gone bowling or playing golf or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's my take on grants. Also, uh, maybe a bit adversarial, but I, I I feel much more confident in it because it's not just myself saying this. I've I've seen it in the other co-founders of successful Romanian startups. They had the exact same opinion. So that's the thing, I guess. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, hear yeah. about it. But you know, if you can get free money, get free money. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, isn't isn't it a saying uh, that you need to get smart money, not because there's bad money and smart money? Look, uh, ideally, you want to get smart money, and I can tell you from from the investors that we have, uh, if you get right investors, investors that are really focused on healthcare, we have one that's focused on healthcare. The impact is going to be so so much more than just the money. But at the end of the day, you need money. <laughs> so yeah. if you can take money, just take the money. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you need to pay salaries as well. So yeah, you have to you have to pay taxes. You have to pay salary. It's it's there's there's some parts of running a company that are not that fun, but it's uh, overall it's a very fun experience. And I can tell everyone that um, you definitely learn a lot in all the domains of existence. All endeavors of human existence. You you learn a lot. That's that's true. Um, I just finished by this. Sorry, it's, I know it's no weird, problem. No problem. Yeah. I, I have. Uh, to. This is why I put it uh, on Friday because <laughs> other day. Uh, but Friday is fine. Okay, that's uh, that's just a nice conversation for you. Hopefully, uh, but um, I I was thinking maybe there are some people uh, doing data science or studying for a medical degree here at Warwick that would listen to the podcast. Um, would they have any opportunities uh, maybe reaching out to you or uh, are you looking into uh, collaborating with students on on helping them develop skills or, or getting them in, into, your, into your company? Is it something that uh, you're currently uh, open to? Absolutely, always. So, uh, 
basically anyone who wants to reach out with anything you can just reach out i'm i'm uh, the, the startup community is all, always, or most of the startup community is about giving back. There were a lot of people that helped us along the way, so I want to help everyone as much as possible. But going back into the you know more business side of things, uh, for example, we right now have one uh, of, of my teammates is he's working on AI. It's actually, this is this is more relevant than I thought. Uh, I I met him when I went back to my high school um, to talk to my Romanian uh, teacher, um, Romanian language teacher, so the actual class. Mm. Um, and she made me uh, introduce what we were doing to her uh, 11th or 10th, 10th, I think, oh, grade wow. students. Yeah. Um, and there was this guy, Alex Buburuzan, basically after, after I finished, he came in uh, and said, do you have five minutes? And he said, I, I want to get into AI. I started studying things. I don't understand a lot. Uh, can we talk? And I said, sure, like, let's let's talk. He, he was 10th grade. Uh, the, the 10th grade is not necessarily the place where you look for AI students, right? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so. Um, he was very, very willing to tr have a shot at this. So I, I, we said, okay, let's have a shot at it. We gave him some tests. He definitely outperformed. Uh, he was extremely diligent. He had asked a lot of questions, but good questions. He showed progress. Right now, he's working with, with Rayscape for three years uh, as a paid employee, and he's actually studying in uh, Manchester. Yeah, University of Manchester. So, we definitely are interested in that uh, 100%. We can work on, you know, AI, we can work on radiology, we can work on anything. Uh, I, I definitely like to have conversations with people and for, for other people, because for example, myself, I wouldn't have approached myself that I was, if I was him, <laughs> I wouldn't have had the courage to do it. Uh, now I'm much more, you know, uh, easygoing, but for people in general, if you feel like there's something that you want to try, and I definitely give it a shot, uh, right to that guy or, or girl, or just just give it a shot because you might be surprised. You never know. Nothing never know. That's true. Yeah, never no, know. Really, really yeah. Hopefully, hopefully there will be some some uh, brain brain people like <laughs> yeah, brain that will reach out and uh, have some some great progress, uh, or maybe just some some curious students uh i'm looking forward to, to seeing if uh, any of them will will come to you and discuss about about radiology or ai in radiology uh, but yeah, or eu grants or eu <laughs> research projects within universities yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you roasted my research projects i'm gonna roast your product now <laughs> yeah it's fine i'm i'm so used to getting roasted i i don't i don't have an ego anymore so that's fine <laughs> You can you can go to those stand up roads and you'll yeah, be just yeah, fine. No. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, that that's all from my side. Do you have anything else to add or ask? Uh, no, I don't have anything else to add or ask. I think just thank you so much, Stefan, for your time. It was absolutely wonderful having you. We've had so many takeaways from our conversation today that will inspire, you know, that have inspired us and I'm sure will inspire our students as well. So thank you so much for your time. Definitely. I, I hope this is helpful to someone. Uh, it's definitely been great talking to you guys. Thanks again for having me.
And again, I'm open uh, on social media, um, email, anything. Just, just reach out if there's any time, anything. I'm happy to discuss. And to understand that he's not lying, that's how I reach out to them. Basically, I I, I looked I looked for the company on LinkedIn and then messaged them. So it's working. Trust me, <laughs> trust me at least, not not you know, if you don't want. Yeah. So yeah, thanks a lot for accepting this, and I'm more than sure it will be it will, it will be it will have some impact on on a couple of students. So. Thanks a lot again, and uh, it was a wonderful conversation with both you, Shivan, uh, and we are, I'm really glad that uh, we have this podcast going on because we we had the, we have the opportunity to talk with so many great people, and then uh, to put them on on our social media and to share it with our communities. So it's great, and thanks a lot. Uh, I hope we'll meet some sometimes, uh, maybe in Romania, maybe in the UK. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward for other conversations as well. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Thanks again for for having me. Uh, yeah, Alex, it's, it's been a pleasure and hopefully we're going to meet uh, in person as well.